where are we getting all this information and as far as the kids leave uh, one other announcement uh, I want to make to you is this coming Saturday, the ladies' secret sister reveal is this Saturday. We're going to meet here at the church at 10 a.m. So, uh, and if you're part of that program, you need to bring a gift for your secret sister. And if, now you say, I'm not part of it. You still want to come. You can still come. And I guess you can come. You don't have to bring a gift, right? Do they still get to eat? Is there food there? They're, they're doing brunch and you don't need to bring anything. Well, except a gift if you're part of the Secret Sister program. All right, all right, all right. Jenny would like a Mercedes. Um. <laughs> German engineering. Get a warranty. Um any rate, uh, that's this Saturday, 10 o'clock. Any questions, see Jennifer or Rebecca, and we'll answer those. All right, our young people can make their way out to junior church now. And the rest of you, I'd like to turn your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 13 this morning, Hebrews chapter number 13, and it's a couple weeks until Father's Day, and so I'm going to do just a little two-week mini-series on a couple verses of Scripture here in Hebrews chapter number 13. I've entitled our little mini-series, How to Please God, How to Please God, and I guess I'd begin um, this morning with just a question, you know, don't, you think it's, uh, ought we not as Christians have a desire to please God? Yeah, I'd like, I'd like to think so, and there's certainly been times in my life, I don't know if there's been any times in your life, but there's been times in my life where, uh, and even seasons of my life, where I failed in that regard. Is there any of you ever lived your life, even after you're saved, that, you know, pleasing God was not the priority in your life, you know? Uh, I find it a lot easier to want to please me um, than I do God, but as a Christian, we ought to have that desire. Um, and when I failed, usually it's because I was living a life where my priorities were more set up based on what I wanted than what God wanted. And yet I have learned and yet continue to learn that doing things God's way certainly um, is, I'll put this one, the Bible says it this way in Proverbs, the way of the transgressor is hard. Now life is hard, now you're going to cut it, but doing life God's way is a lot better, and we do that when we please God. I, I, you ever notice how children um, really have a desire to please you? Now, I know some of your parents are going, I don't think so. My kid does not want to please me because they don't do anything I say. And as a grandparent, I love that when my granddaughter just gives my daughter problems. I just sit there, what are you going to do about it now, hon? What are you going to do about it? Uh, 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 don't look at me. Uh, I, I already, I've been there. Um, but, you know, the reality is, underneath it all, generally speaking, your kids do want to please you. And a lot of times it's because of the way we incentivize them or disincentivize them that we don't get that a lot. In other words, if, if your parenting style is consistently one of criticism and negativity and you're telling your kid that there's no way they can ever really please you, it, that's going to lead to some problems. How would you like it if that's how God treated you and me. And unfortunately, I suppose there's some Christians that that's their view of God, that no matter what I do, it's not good enough. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, um, God delights in you and I. And as we are obedient, it's, it's not like God's sitting there making himself feel better because we're being obedient. You know, he's pretty secure in his own uh, being. But it, it, it is a blessing to you and I, and um, it's, it's a desire that's in there. I know um, even as a grandparent, 
uh, what I like about grandkids is they, they tend to like to please us even more. Matter of fact, they don't give us half the, the problems they give you parents. <laughs> I love that about grandkids. They're great. I would tell everybody, if I could have skipped children and went right to grandchildren, I think that's what I would have done. Um, but uh, my daughter's not here to refute that So today, so I can say whatever I want today. Caleb's going to leave the video on. The mountain, you know, I, I, I'm not threatened this morning. But uh, Addie, sometimes when I'm having a bad day or something and I'm, I'm sleeping or whatever, and uh, she'll come over to the house and I'll tell Jenny, I only want to rest this length of time. And she gets a big delight out of being able to come in and turn the light on and wake me up. She likes doing that. But she also knows that most of the time, if I wake up due to some of the medications I'm on, I'm usually really, really thirsty. And she knows I like Pepsi, cherry Pepsi in particular. And uh, I like cherry Pepsi and uh, wild cherry Pepsi because wild cherry for a wild child. Um, that was me. Um, my parents are watching. They're going, oh, yeah, that was him. Um, but I remember one time, you know, she'd be so excited to be able to do that, you know, to, to come help PJ or Shay Shay, as she would say. And Shay Shay, get up. And uh, she'll come running in the room and she'll turn on the light switch and I'll be kind of waking up and, and she's got a, you know, I like the, the bottles of Pepsi, you know, the plastic ones, you know, 16 ounce ones. She'll, she'll have that in her hand coming in there. And when she's typically excited, she doesn't come up, you know, because if you don't, my daughter, my granddaughter's special needs, she, she doesn't usually, now she's getting better, doesn't like to come up and just hand it to me. She'll come around the edge of the thing and then she chucks it at me. And she wants me to let her know that I'm really happy with her, you know. Oh, thank you, Eddie. Thank you. You're the best, you know. Versus if the parent would have said, what are you doing, you know. The grandchild, the grandparent goes, that was great, great, great. What an arm you have, you know. (laughs) And then, of course, I'm not awake enough, so then I take the screw top lid off, and you guys know what happens after that, you know. Um, So then, then you know, that's how it is. But there's that desire to, to please our biological parents and as spiritual children, there ought to be a desire to please God. And if you're a Christian and you don't have that desire, there's a problem. This morning, I want to direct your attention to Hebrews chapter 13, and our text is going to be for the next couple of weeks, verses 15 and 16, all right? So we're going to read Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 15 and 16, pray and then get into God's word. The Bible says, by him... Therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, but to do good and to communicate. Forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God is well pleased. Let's pray. Lord, it's been good to be here this morning to sing how great you are and to hear uh, the wonderful singing this morning about your blood and how it washes away our sin. We're so thankful that we have a restored relationship and we know heaven is our home. God, I pray if there's one here today or one listening today who doesn't know that, they don't know they're on their way to heaven if they were to die, God, I pray that you'd make it clear to them through your Holy Spirit that you love them and that forgiveness is available if they'd simply receive that free gift of Jesus' finished work on the cross and at that empty tomb. Thank you for um, walking through this life with us, and even in the times when we fail, um, that your mercies are new every morning. So God, help us to live lives that are well-pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. The Bible says here in our text in verse 16 that God is pleased when we offer him such sacrifices. In other words, if people said, well, how does it please God? How can I please God? You do it with such sacrifices. 
that you, if you're a child of God, need to be offering sacrifices to God. Now, you'd say, and I said myself when I read this, I'm going, well, isn't offering a sacrifice an Old Testament law requirement? I mean, the Old Testament had all these different sacrifices that people were required to do. Aren't we under grace? Now, to understand this passage, I think an overall view of the book of Hebrews is important here. The letter to the book of Hebrews was written to believers who were living in and around Jerusalem. They were under tremendous pressure and persecution, specifically by uh, Judaism, by the, the rabbinic structure of the day. And we underestimate the, 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 the pressure that was on them and the cost that they paid to identify with Christ. Now, some of these believers got tired of being losing their jobs and their families disowning them and being social outcasts. They, they kind of got weary of it. I can understand that. And they, they understood the teaching of the Apostle Paul and what the Lord Jesus had said, that when they trusted Christ, they were eternally secure. They were saved forever. Well, if I'm saved forever, why don't I just go back and get back involved in Judaism a little bit and then I'll be accepted by them. And even if it's a little wrong, I'm saved after all. And I'm going to go to heaven and I can just live a nice, happy life. <laughs> uh, so God sends this letter to let these believers know that living a life like that was not going to be an option. You see, Jesus had pronounced judgment on Jerusalem because of the unpardonable sin, which... You know, you're going to hear, boy, it was all, you want to hear people have crazy ideas on what the unpardonable sin is. Here, let me clear it up for you. It was the national rejection of Jesus as the Messiah by that Jewish generation in which Jesus came to. That's the unpardonable sin. So if you're watching and you say, well, somebody, I've committed the unpardonable sin. You don't know. No, uh, you weren't alive then. Um, you're not Jewish. God didn't send the Messiah to our particular generation in person. Um, no, it was a national sin, not an individual sin. We know that many individual Jewish people did come to faith in Messiah. Our whole faith is based on Jewish people. Um, but God sends them the letter of Hebrews to tell these believers that if they stay in Jerusalem in and around the area, they will experience the judgment of God, the judgment that Jesus had pronounced on that Jewish generation. You stay in Jerusalem, you're going to receive and be a part of judgment, physical judgment. It wouldn't matter if we read the book of Hebrews, if God says in Hebrews, it doesn't matter if you repent, doesn't matter how much you pray, doesn't matter if you offer some kind of fleece or say, God, I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter. If you stay in Jerusalem, God had said, judgment's coming on that city. And if you stay in that city, when the judgment comes, you're going to be just as dead as everybody else. So either consider this warning, which is why in Hebrews there's all these warning passages that people misapply, but he said, if you stay, I don't care if you're a believer or an unbeliever, the physical judgment you will experience. So basically, he's saying, you know, get, get out. Now, most Bible theologians believe this book was written around A.D. 64 to A.D. 66, somewhere in that time frame, just, you know, 30-some years after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. But we know historically Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70. So basically, some of these believers who were struggling coming out from their old lifestyle of Judaism got this letter that demonstrates how Jesus is superior to everything in the Old Testament, and he is the way, and you better get out. But they were under tremendous pressure. 
And in the end of this letter, in chapter number 13, believers are being encouraged to live Christ-like lives, from their morality to um, their relationships to each other to believers that are in bondage. And then he says, this is how you can be well-pleasing, is to offer such sacrifices. So, this morning, I want to begin answering this question, how do we please God? I'm going to give you four different things over the next two weeks. This morning, the first two. Number one, how do we please God? Number one, it is only possible to please God by him, in quotes. Notice in verse number 15, the Bible says, by him therefore, first three words, by him therefore, that there is no pleasing God apart from Jesus Christ. The Bible says that not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. One of the hard things to get people to understand is many people want to try to run around. I'm talking about unbelievers here who have not come to faith. They think that if I do enough religious things or I do enough good works, that that's going to somehow merit the favor and the holiness of God. And the Bible's pretty clear that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The Bible's very clear that all our righteousness is as filthy rags before a holy God. And, and so if somebody says, well, I'm going to do this, that, and the other, and then God's going to, when I die, God will take me to heaven. No, 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 my dear friend, the Bible's very, very clear that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the only way, and in terms of being a right standing before God and being in the family of God, there is no way to please God apart from Jesus Christ. That's why he says, by him, therefore, in verse 15. Well, you ask, what is it there for? Well, certainly the context of the whole book, but let's go to the immediate context. And um, I'm going to read with you just some verses here just to provide the context to understand why he says this in verse 15. Notice and go back to verse number 8 in chapter number 13. Very familiar verse, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them, which have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought to the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate, without the camp. Let us go Forth, therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come by him therefore. Wow. We are told that we are, as believers, are to be a people that come to him by grace and not by meats. That no longer are we under the Mosaic law, and that the Lord Jesus Christ, that by his blood he washed away our sin, and that that altar in the Old Testament only covered sin. Aren't you glad that your sin's been washed away as opposed to just being covered? That's, that's good stuff. And in verse number 10, the writer tells him, but as Christians we do have an altar. Now, a couple of different guys agree or discuss what that, what is he referring to there. I personally believe he's talking about Jesus Christ himself. Some think he's referring to the cross, but I think he's talking about Jesus, that we come to him, that he is our, our, our sacrifice. He is our high priest. He, he, he is the, he's the altar. He's all of it. And he says that the Judaizers have no right to it 
because they're still putting their faith in the tabernacle through the motions, through the religiosity. He said the only way to access this is through grace by faith. And then he goes on and tells them that an illustration that they would have understood that in sin offerings and certainly at Yom Kippur when the blood was put on the, the mercy seat there to cover the sins of the people nationally for another year, um, but the animals, the, the carcass of the animals would be taken outside of the city and burned. And he's comparing that with Christ, how he, his blood washed away our sin, but what happened to Jesus? The parts of him that were rejected, him, was taken outside of the city and crucified. So the writer encourages believers to go out of the camp, embrace the rejection, to bear his reproach, and to remember that this world is not our home, just like Abraham we don't have a continuing city here, but we seek one to come. Abraham himself, in Hebrews chapter number 11, many of you know this wonderful verse of Scripture, in Hebrews 11, verse number 9 and 10, by faith Abraham he sojourned in the land of promise, in verse 10, for he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. If you, if you and I walk through this life and you think this is all there is and you live for this city and this time and this place, and how today are Christians under fire, like in America, I don't know if we've been at least in my lifetime. I mean, it's, it's uh, you, you, you know, you go on Twitter and say you believe that life begins at conception and you think it's a wrong thing and you think it's taking the life of an individual when, you, you know, you, you chop them up inside the mother's womb. You know, you, you're the bad person. You know, you believe that men with, Men parts should go to men bathrooms and stay out of women's locker room. You're a bigot. You, you, you believe that Jesus alone can cover the sin of the world and he alone is the way to salvation. You are narrow-minded and intolerant. And there's, <laughs> if, if you want an opportunity to bear the reproach of Jesus Christ and shine brightly for him, you are living in the right time. Which, by the way, you didn't have a choice about when you're living. God puts you here. It's time for us to shine, Right? And um, it's disappointing to see how quickly some of the big corporations just back down to the LGBTQ, A, B, C, D, E, F, divided sign, plus, minus, I don't know. I like what they're called, the alphabet mafia, because I can't keep up with, you know, what's going on there. But ultimately, for all of humanity, when we are unbelievers, we are standing before God in our sin, there's only one way to please God, to be right with God, to have the holiness of God applied to your account, and that is through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John three seventeen, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, people say, oh, they sh God should have done this. This is what God did. And he did enough. He did way too much. <laughs> Saving you and I worthless souls, you know. I'm telling you, I know, I get an amen. Sometimes I think we think so much of ourselves. You don't deserve the mercy and grace of God, and yet he put on flesh and blood and came, lived among us, and let us as humanity treat him the way we treated him, the creator of everything. And he did it that you and I might have an eternity with him. First John 
Chapter 4, and this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the satisfaction, the payment of our sins. Even in Hebrews, the Hebrew writer made this very clear about the superiority of Christ and his sacrifice in Hebrews 9.12. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once, by the way, once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of Christ and the sacrifice of Christ is not like the one of blood and goats that they had to do over and over and over again. And this is why, for me, you know, I try to be nice, but they offend me when people are telling you you got to get saved over and over again. Well, you sinned willfully. Isn't that the stupidest thing you ever heard? You sinned willfully. And they use Hebrews as their text proof for that. I'm like, you know, you can sin, but just don't sin willfully. Because if you sin willfully, then you lose your salvation. You've got to get saved again and crucify Christ afresh. No. And by the way, every time you and I sin, we sin willfully. Every time. 1 Corinthians, for after that, 121, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. The world got real smart. You know, they know everything. And it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I know. I know churches like ours, oh, I'm a bunch of simple-minded simpletons, you know. Um, you know. I was going to say, you know, can you read Greek and Hebrew? That always gets them, you know. Although one time I was witnessing to a guy and he, he got a big argument with me because he told me the New Testament was written in Latin. So I told him, I said, you've been listening to your priest too long. Why don't you go check that out? And if they're lying to you about that, on you go. The Bible says, but he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Aren't you glad that you can have peace with God? Through simple faith in what Jesus did, that you don't and I don't have to go through that. We don't have to be separated from God. We don't have to let death be the victor. I love what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, referring to the Lord Jesus and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, there it is, to reconcile all things unto himself. You're here this morning, you're watching online, you don't know you're on your way to heaven, my dear friend. In terms of getting pleasing with God in an eternal sense, it's only possible by the finished work of Jesus Christ. His death on a cross, payment for your sins and the sins of the whole world, and his resurrection at that empty tomb. But not only is it only possible by him, but this one I want to show you secondly. Um, how do we please God? Well, as I mentioned, by the sacrifice of praise, uh, number two, how do I please God? Well, you can please God by the sacrifice of praise. In verse 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. 
the, the, the writer is comparing the, the folks who are trying to are wrestling with going back into Judaism. They want to get involved in all those things. And Paul's going, or Luke, whoever wrote this, said, hey, you know, you know Christians, we have sacrifices too. Now, they're spiritual ones. You don't have to go to the, the uh, physical location. I'm so thankful. That's what Jesus taught in John chapter 4 to the Samaritan woman that we worship in spirit and truth. We don't have to go to some certain location. These are spiritual things. But nonetheless... I don't think people in the Old Testament just wandered by the tabernacle and said, well, I think today's a good day, I'll give a sacrifice. You know, there was the trespass offering and the sin offerings, different things, and if you did certain mistakes or sins in your life, then you, you go to the temple and you made a sacrifice. You, you, you went there with intentionality, or maybe it was a, a time where everybody was called there. Well, all I know is if, if you make some of the application there, and, and what he's talking about here, as a Christian, no, we don't have a tabernacle to go to, but when's the last time you made a sacrifice of praise? Say, well, I don't know, what, is, what does that mean? Well... I understand we're not under law, but the, our altar is the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, one of the most convicting verses in all the scriptures that probably most of you have memorized at some point, but Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you or I beg you therefore, brethren, believers, by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice that we ought to be offering sacrifices to God. It begins, obviously, with all of us. And how do I do that? If I'm a living sacrifice, what do I do? Well, we're told here in Hebrews, one of the ways you do it is you do it through the offering or the, the sacrifice of praise. And, and by the way, it says we should be living sacrifices. Again, to my Calvinist friends, I, I, this is another passage where I'd say, well, if, if I'm determined and everything, you know, God's sovereignty runs to the extent that I don't really make any choices, I just do everything God predetermined I do, then why is he begging them to become living sacrifices? I don't understand why he would beg them. He'd be going, just do your thing. Some of you, God will get to be a sacrifice. Some of you will become unfaithful. I don't know. But we should be, but it doesn't mean that we are. And he says, I want you to make this sacrifice of praise to God continually. Like some of the sacrifices, the one there, the, the, burn, the, the burn altar was supposed to be, that was supposed to be going perpetually. If you read back there when Moses came down with the law. And so we should be praising him continually. And one of my favorite songs by Casting Crowns, one of the classics, you know. I thought about singing a phrase this morning, but thought better of it, so you're welcome. You know, I'll praise you in this storm, you know? So much truth in that. That even when I pray the rain to stop, but I look outside and it's still raining. Even when the thunder still rolls, I'm going to choose to praise you in this storm. You know, as I get older, um, in many ways, life gets harder and it gets more painful, right, old people? You know, I used to hear this from one of my old, my Pastor Holman used to say this, one of my mentors who's in his 90s now, but he used to say, you know, if, when you get old, he said, if it ain't hurting, it ain't working. Um, I'm finding a lot of truth that it ain't hurting, it ain't working, but I, I, I found, um, you know, uh, the old, the old-fashioned Muppet show, not the progressive woke one, but the old ones. Remember the two old guys that sat up in the corner and always, they, those were my two favorite characters in the old Muppet Show, all the young people. You know, don't you feel bad these people today, all, all the comedy they have has to be uh, immoral and perverse. Yeah. 
You know, it's because they can't do real comedy. You know, they can't do it. But I, those, those old guys in the old Muppet Show are my favorite. And, and I don't know, I, well, for, but a pastor friend of mine, I think it was, uh, maybe it was one of you, but I found this on there. You know, and I thought, man, that's kind of how I feel. Uh, one of the old guys is saying to the other, I sure feel my age. I ache all over. The other old guy, and I think I have a picture of it up here for you. I feel like a newborn. No hair, no teeth, and I just peed my pants. So I don't know this morning if you're feeling like an old guy or a young guy, but, you know, we, we're just going around the cycle, you know, coming back from where it all began. But all I know is we are called to offer the sacrifice of praise even in our pain. As a psalmist wrote in Psalm 34, verse number one, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Even in Psalm 51, where David was confessing his sin and getting right with God, in verse 15, he says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. This is after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. His desire is that he be able to praise God again, and he determines to do it. And then he goes on in verse 17 and says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Aren't you glad there's hope even after the storm and after the failure? And when you failed God and you messed up here's your life and you come and you confess that sin, you get right with God, that, that God and the Holy Spirit puts a, puts a new praise on your heart and, and, and with a clear conscience you can praise God. There's just something revigorating about that. And oftentimes I'm afraid in our churches, all we ever do is teach the negative side. Don't do that, don't do that, confess that. Instead of saying, hey, you know, get right with God. And one of the great things about it is restore your praise. Because just like just like as a child, and I'll tell you, one of the things I've learned, even as a, I've had people in my office in their 30s and their 40s that are still concerned what their parents think of them. And I do. And, and I love it when I know my dad and my mom are pleased. And as Christians and as the children of God and the children of the King, it's a wonderful thing to feel the pleasure and the well-pleasing feeling that God has towards the praise that you're lifting up. You see, you've got to come to the altar and offer the sacrifice of praise. Praise Him in the sad times and the hard times. Praise Him when the kids disobey. Praise Him when the bills are overdue. When your health is poor and you lose your job. Praise Him when somebody you trust disappoints you. You know, just come to Jesus. Remember, you have eternal life, so you praise Him in the morning. Praise Him in the noonday. Praise Him in the evening. Praise Him when we get up. Praise Him when we lie down. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. It pleases God. Now, I'm going to take the last couple minutes, and I want you to notice the end of verse number 15. He says, By Him, therefore, so it's found in Christ, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Um, most of the time I hear this taught and there's nothing wrong with it. I just kind of taught it myself. I think it's a fair application on this verse that when he says the sacrifice of praise that, he's, that he means that this praise is sacrificial. You know, that things are going bad but I'm praising God so I'm, and, and there's some truth to that. You know, it's, it's easy to praise God and everything's going good, you know, and easier. Um, sometimes <laughs> if you're my personality, you never notice that maybe some of you are like me. There's some of you out there that when things are going good that you start taking credit for it yourself. Thank you, Nick. One honest person in here. One other time, you know, oh, things are going pretty good. I sure am making some wise decisions. You know, it's a good thing I'm, I'm doing a look, look at me, Lord. Uh, boy, boy, that's a dangerous ground, isn't it? Look out. That's when Jenny gets aside and says, here come the lightning. Um, 
But we hear this taught, typically, offer God the sacrifice of praise, which, you know, through difficult times. But I think when he's talking about the sacrifice there, in the context, he's talking about these, as verse 16 goes on and says, these sacrifices that please God. He's talking about, you know, a type of sacrifice. And you say, how can you prove that? Well, a lot of times we read the first half of verse 15, but God thought it was important enough that we understand what is the sacrifice of praise because he defines it for us in the last half of that verse. Notice he says, the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is. In other words, in the South, let me tell y'all how it means, all right? The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. The fruit of our lips. You know, I thought to myself, if I was out here speaking this morning and I said something really good and a strawberry popped out of my mouth, like those ones you get at that farm yield you like to go to and click them all up there, I could prompt now, you wouldn't probably want to eat a strawberry that popped out of my mouth, I doubt, this morning, but it'd be pretty, you know, you'd say, well, that's a nice, and I'm telling you, it'd be a nice looking strawberry, or maybe a, a grape pops out, or a grapefruit, my big mouth, that's possible. Um, it's the fruit of our lips. And, you know, every time you and I speak, another one of my favorite songs is, do we speak life or do we speak death? Because everything you say is a product, a fruit of your lips. That's why James chapter 3 on the tongue, and James says, you know, your mouth has blessing and cursing come out. It ought, it should, ought not be that way. He's talking to Christians. If, 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 if I could go with you to your work all week, what am I going to hear? He said, well, I wouldn't want that. I got bad news for you. The Holy Spirit is the one who's there, not me. And if you had to go say a bunch of stupid things, you'd probably be better off saying it in front of me. But we don't think of it that way, that it's this product that comes out of our mouth. And, and God tells them, this sacrifice of praise is fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. It's a fruit that comes out. That it's what's on the inside that comes out on the outside. In other words, I understand that there are times I'll walk around and, and internally I'm feeling really good with God and I'm thanking God for things inside my heart. But I think what he's talking about here is when you're given the sacrifice of praise, it's something that starts on the inside but comes out of your mouth. When you get mad at work, mad at a situation, mad at a, 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 another employee, do you just think it on the inside? Now, I know some of you go, yeah, I do because I've got customers in front of me. But let's just say you're off there to your side. No, you don't. There can be nobody else around but you in the world and you hit your finger with the hammer, you know, kind of thing, you know? Or you climb up the top of the building, your building, and your nail gun runs out of nails. And you told your wife to put a new belt in there. I know nothing about this. Or I always put my tools back where they go and my children and others in my family know where they are and when I need my 3 8 drive ratchet, it is nowhere to be found. You get mad at work. What? You just think it? Nope. Most of the time people, we're prone to just start saying things. Blankety, blankety, blank, 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 blank. You, okay? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I'll take it. All I'm saying is, I think God wants us not to just think praise, but to speak praise, to sing praise. Don't just think it, say it. This is why, unfortunately, you know, some of my non-denominational church brethren and uh, some other brethren, you know, there's part of me that doesn't like the experientialism that some of those churches give and, you know, that they they, they don't give any sound, solid doctrine and they won't take stands. But at the same time, you know, sometimes I, I just want Christians to sing like they mean it. How great thou art. How great thou art. When I'm in awesome wonder, I can't consider because I don't know the words. I'll listen to Joe. We're pathetic. You might be amazed how your attitude would be revolutionized if you put the praise of God on your lips. Now, in closing, say, well, what comes on our lips? Notice he tells us exactly what should be coming out. Giving thanks to his name. Ooh, giving thanks. Now, as a guy who does like the Greek, I thought to myself, well, this is going to be some form of the word Eucharist or Charist or something in there for thankfulness, and I'm going to, that's what, so I went to the, they, no, no, it's not the Greek word there. Hamalageo is the Greek word for thanks there. And it's a compound word. It's a very familiar word. And it literally means to say the same thing. Matter of fact, homilageo is used in one of the most famous verses, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You all know that verse? If we confess, if we homilageo our sins. In other words, true confession is when you and I agree with God about some area of our life. It's when you and I say, God, I see this is where you said I should have done this, the attitude I should have had, and I had an attitude of bitterness, and I agree with you that it is a sin. That's confession. I agree with what you're saying. Now, with that idea in mind, that we are to give thanks, that we are to agree with God about his name. Ooh, I'm about to get good again here. Never forget, free advice this morning, how to have God be pleased with you and not ready to discipline you, is be very careful what you do with the name of God. Because Old, New Testament, doesn't matter, God seems to have a thing about his name. Even Jesus, when he taught us how to pray in Matthew 6, 9, after this manner, therefore, when you pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Holy be thy name. In the Ten Commandments, if you like that kind of thing, Exodus chapter 20, God says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Oh, man. 
Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Psalm chapter 20, and this is based out of Isaiah. It's also found in Isaiah. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So you say, what do you mean? I got I to stop. But when he says here, offer the sacrifice of praise continually, this is what it is. The fruit of your mouth externally agreeing with God about what he says concerning his name. Oh, that's good. You say, what do you mean? Well, in, in the Old and New Testament, there's several different words that are used in the Old Testament, the Hebrew even more descriptively, of the names of God. Um, there's, there's lots of them, and I, I, had, I just found a chart. Um, I put it out here on the board. If, you, know, you can find this online. You know, Adonai means Lord, but there's, a lot of them are descriptive, like El Elroy, which means the strong one who sees. Or Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. You ever been in a spot where you needed God to provide something? Has there been times where God actually provided something? You know, there have been times in my life, and matter of fact, Lori and I, we came up with a name that we call them Isaac blessings because Isaac means laughter. And I have had times in my life where God has blessed me above my salvation. And if he did that and nothing else, I'd, I'd have to thank him forever and ever. And I would thank him forever and ever willingly. But, you know, on top of that, he, gives, he, he provides for me in ways that are just, I, I, the only thing I can do is laugh. Just as Isaac was this miracle blessing that should have never existed, and yet there was this baby of promise. And sometimes God gives things for me and I just got to say, Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals or Jehovah Shalom, the Lord of peace. Don't you want to have peace? Do, do you realize we live in a day with all the wickedness and evil that's going on in our nation, abandoning our, our constitutional founding and our Judeo-Christian heritage. There's a lot of reasons for loss of peace. And you can't turn on Fox News, which I don't trust them anymore anyway, but you can't turn on any kind of news source for the length of time. And it's all bad, 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 bad. And I don't know about you, but it's really easy to lose your peace. But I'm not trusting in Washington, D.C., I say Jehovah Shalom. He is my peace. What is God? How does he relate in your life? If we look around and develop an attitude of praise, we offer that sacrifice of praise. God is well pleased. Amen? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the teaching of your word today. God, we are thankful for your name that you are the El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty, that you are our banner, that you are the Lord of hosts, that you are the Lord of our righteousness. Lord, I pray if there's one here today who doesn't know you as their personal Savior, there's never been a time where they made peace with you. Your word is pretty clear that if they're standing in their sins, that they are, are under your wrath. My dear friend, there's no reason to be there. God does love you. He loved you so much that he came and died for you and rose again that he could offer you eternal life. He paid for your sins. Would you simply talk to God today and acknowledge to him that you're a sinner 
in need of a Savior and that you're trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Would you do it today? How about it, dear Christian? Is God pleased with you right now? I understand none of us live perfectly. But this morning we've been reminded there's, there's a way we can, God's well pleased, and that is if we choose to be involved in the sacrifice of praise. Have you been praising God for who he is and what he's done in your life? Or are you living your life pleasing yourself? Holy Spirit of God, I pray you'd illuminate issues and areas of our lives that each of us deal with, the sins that beset us uniquely and our adversary knows. God, I pray you'd give us the humility to acknowledge where we failed and accept the grace that you love us and restore us and have the very best for us. Holy Spirit of God, seal decisions in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please?